Welcome to Dry Clean Only, conversations on fashion and style. I'm Kristen Cole, and this is episode 13, where I sit and interview industry veteran, Erin Beatty, designer and founder of the very inspiring, high-concept, sustainable collection, Rontriage. Okay, so lots of things happening in the fashion world right now. All of it so overshadowed, of course. I feel it's not necessary to say, but I'm going to say it anyway, by the ongoing devastation in Ukraine, the global climate crisis, uh, continuing to express itself in new and exciting ways every week. And of course, the devastating Supreme Court leak that we've just learned about, uh, possibly overturning Roe. So, you know, scary times we're living in. Let's retreat inside the lovely fashion bubble. The Met Gala returned this week, finally to its normal calendar spot on the first Monday in May. The theme was Gilded Age and had many interpretations. Uh, Of course, I spent not too much time (laughs) tuning in, but all the same, the fashion was uh, pretty incredible. Uh, Kim Kardashian was the clear sartorial winner of the night. She wore an archival Jean-Louis embellished gown worn by none other than Marilyn Monroe in the early 60s when she famously somewhat scandalously serenaded the sitting president JFK on his birthday. That incredible moment is captured in the new Netflix doc, The Mystery of Marilyn Monroe, The Unheard Tapes. Uh, In case you've missed that, I highly recommend. It's a really great doc and they share a lot of tape we haven't heard yet if you kind of follow, you know, her life and death. And it was recorded mostly by journalist Anthony Summers, who penned the book Goddess, The Secret Lives of Marilyn Monroe. Uh, I have my copy sitting right here on, on my desk. I just went through it again. It's such an incredible read. I read it many years ago uh, in the late aughts when I moved from New York to LA to Silver Lake, uh, and I became fairly enthralled with you know, her life and with all things old Hollywood, as one does when they move to LA. Phoebe Bridgers looked really fantastic at the Met, uh, as she always does. She had a silver embellished gown by Jonathan Simkai, so beautiful. I'm super into her style uh, and music, and I've been listening to her radio show, which comes out weekly on SiriusXMU. It's called Satisfactory, and I highly recommend it, especially if you're into sad girl indie, which I very much am. Uh, Blake Lively always looks glamorous, and this time was no different. She wore a custom Versace, and she's being memed and compared to Lady Liberty herself (laughs) online. She looked really great, though. Uh, Precious Lee stunned in Altuzara, as did Hillary Clinton, uh, who, incidentally, I had the pleasure of seeing in the flesh last week. I was having dinner with my husband and friends at Via Carota, and she was sitting at the table behind us. So that was fairly thrilling. Uh, Other highlights for me uh, from the Met, Questlove, he looked very cool. I'm yet to see his doc, Summer of Soul, but I have to, everyone's raving about it. Erica Badu always looks so unique and so incredible. She wore a beaded and patchworked Marnie number. Dakota Johnson and Gucci wearing a fairly stunning cat suit. Um, And that was, yeah, those were my highlights. I'm sure many other people looked great. Um, 
Speaking of museum fundraisers, I have to plug the 2022 Whitney Gala and Studio Party that's coming up. It'll be taking place on May 17th, Tuesday, May 17th. Uh, please support the museum and join me there. Uh, I'm a member of the Studio Party Benefit Committee, and I will put the link to ticket sales on my Instagram. And you can also just go to Whitney, you know, museum org and find the ticket sales there for the studio party. Uh, the Venice Biennale also happened a few weeks ago. This was a major cultural event, of course, major art world event. Uh, but just like we're seeing with Art Basel Miami, lots of fashion brands are, you know, mingling with the art crowd. Bottega Veneta supported the dancing studies performance. That seemed to be a highlight. Valentino, Dior, Diesel, Louis Vuitton, they all got involved. Um, I'm going to see the Venice Biale later this spring. I can't wait. Um, here in New York, Jonathan Cohen has a new Madison Avenue pop-up opening later this week. He's been on the pod with his partner um, earlier on. Please check that out. But I look forward to yeah checking out his new pop-up shop. And Tom Brown uh, showed in New York last week off calendar, a very New York collection with equal number, you know, super high concept looks and realistic looks. It was pretty great. Um, I'm excited to share my conversation with Erin Beatty of Rontriage with you today. I'm really inspired by her vision, by her taste level, and I just think it's an incredibly high concept, sustainable model with some really smart ideas. Uh, the best-selling signatures include outerwear, tees, and sweatshirts. And pardon any echo, I recorded the interview the other day from uh, my husband's gallery, Broadway, and in the viewing room, got a little echoey. So thank you, Joe and Pascal, for letting me record there sometimes. And here we go, off to the interview. Um, Erin, thank you for joining me on the pod today. So nice to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. Um, tell me, where is your office? Where are you right now? Um, I am in, it's like the Soho Chinatown border. So we're on Center Street, actually. How long have you been down there? So we started a year, well, we launched a year before the pandemic, but you know, you have to make the clothes. Yeah. So it didn't, the, the clothes didn't come out till six months before the pandemic. We were kind of working out of my Taylor's studio, which was in Brooklyn, which was a hall. Okay. And then, um, kind of stupidly, but in retrospect, not, we signed a lease kind of like two weeks before the pandemic. I mean, we definitely knew what was happening, but we also just had a ton of stuff and we needed place, places to put things. And so we, um, yeah, we sound, we, we signed a lease. I share an office with like a really good friend of mine who is the boyfriend of the tailor I work with. So, you know, in the end, it actually worked out because we were paying half rent and it was a really good deal. And then um, like most of those old Chinatown deals, the building got sold and uh, is about to be torn down and turned into a high rise. So, um, and somehow, and I just think Wade, my office partner and I have really good office karma and we've stumbled into this place and we found so it was just we are just we just lucked out basically and we're so happy to be here and having an office during the pandemic in the city that was kind of easy to get to yeah. it was really critical especially considering I, I mean I had two little kids and so we actually left our apartment and 
moved to the country, Same. which is where we live now. So now I'm in the city two or three days a week. Yeah. And I'm so grateful that I have an office that I love to come to. No, no, that's really nice. And, and you need that space. I mentioned this to you last time we spoke, but yeah, we left early in the pandemic. We were between Texas and the West Village. And yeah, in like the spring of 2020, we left for Westchester for this like really cute little seaside village. It's amazing. Um, and I have kind of the same vibe where I'm in, in the city out of Tribeca, you know, two times a week and then the rest of the time out up there. And it's so nice because I can record the pod from anywhere and the consulting work I do from anywhere. So totally. And I actually find that the days, I mean, the one problem with where I live is we live it's two hours away. So I can't commute on a daily. So I actually have to spend the night when I come here, but I do find that it helps to make me extremely productive in both places. Um, that's, that's the same with me. And I, um, I really, I like, I like that vibe right now. It's yeah. working, especially with I, little kids and everything. Totally. And I also think it's critical for women. For me, it's also been extraordinarily helpful just as a working mom yeah. Yeah. to have that separation yeah. and it's really balanced. I mean, this is quite personal, but it's, it's very much balanced my relationship with my husband because there's certain things that he never did. We never realized that he wasn't doing and I was doing, and now he's completely doing it. Beneficial for all of us as a family every in, in every way. I know. No, I feel the same way about so many kind of pandemic changes and everything. I was uh, doing some, you know, research on you. Obviously, I've known you from Suno for all of those years, you know, super aware of your career and everything. But I realized you used to live, I saw your home in the West Village in El Decor. That was so pretty. Was that a brownstone or what was that? No, it was, it was funny because during that interview, she kept being like, it's just, it's, you've done so well with such a humble apartment, <laughs> which I mean, it's only because it's only because she's, you know, the vast majority of things yeah. in El Decor are much larger than our two bedroom apartment yeah. in the West Village. But no, it was, it was an apartment, you yeah. know, and it was, we just were really lucky. And um, my sister had purchased it and then we got it from, we bought it from her. And basically like, that was kind of yeah. you know, the way that that worked out. And uh we were on Charles and Washington and I could walk up and down, you know, along the West side highway and get some water every day. I love being by the water. Yeah. We were West 11th and, um, in between Washington and the West side highway. Okay. Yeah. So we were blocks away from one another, but, um, nice. yeah, it was, it was wonderful. And I also feel like it was an era. Yeah. You know, and I kept, I went back there before we rented the apartment. Um, we had like some time when we were deciding to permanently move and it did feel like I was living a time that had passed. It's yeah, like totally. No, that's how it feels when you go to those old places. When you're um, on, on city days and when you're around, what are some of your favorite, like what's your favorite restaurant or bar? Like what are the places you love here? I've recently found myself just really relying on my old standbys. Old, yes. Yeah. And my old favorites. And, you know, I, I love ABCV. I love Balthazar. I was just um, yeah. I love breakfast at Balthazar. I sublet from from a friend and someone I also work with, mm -hmm. and that apartment's in the East Village, which has been so fun for me. But I basically order dinner from Suen almost every night, which is what I used to do in the West Village, like in my. It's so I I just. You like all those old places. It's nostalgic. I, I, feel like I go to the old, uh, to the oldies, you know, and I try out the newbies and I just can't yeah. believe the flavor profiles. I, I get it. I, and 
totally. I don't know. I'm, I'm older now. Yeah, no, same, same. I like going to all my old, old haunts. It's nostalgia. It feels comfortable. It's like reassuring. It's lovely. So, so you, you know, you did Suno for what, about almost 10 years? Yeah. So I did Suno for 10 years. Okay. And then you took a little bit of a break. Can we talk about the kind of pivot and reinvention? Because I think like so many people are at that moment in their careers. I mean, I am, you know, I've been doing this, I've been doing this time to step off that track. What's next? How did you kind of, and what was that period in between Suno and launching Entourage? In a way, Suno was kind of ripped out from under me, mm-hmm. you know? And so I wasn't, I was pregnant. I was not prepared. For yeah. the ending. I knew I was comfortable there and that maybe that comfort was getting a little, you know, I, I kind of anticipated that there would be growth in my future, but not uh, growth that felt so painful as growth always does, you know, yeah. no, and I- all of this happened kind of in, um, it ended in 2016. So, and so there was a lot of change happening for the country. Yeah. Um, and it was pre-pandemic. So it was kind of lucky because I got to experience a lot of traumas, like things that were traumatic in and of themselves. But I would say they they actually, what they did is they brought out a lot of kind of dormant pain inside of me, you know, and fear. Yeah. And it was something I really had to process through, which I'm very grateful I got to do earlier yeah. because I, I, I understand I, I have so many friends pivoting in their careers right now. And I feel like I am now completely comfortable in what feels like an extraordinary long lasting pivot. (laughs) No, I know. Yeah. Going through this, which, which I kind of did at the very, very beginning of the pandemic, leaving, you know, my life as a retailer and everything. It was just like, oh my gosh, now I'm doing a whole different thing. What am I going to do? And the world is falling apart. So, you know, the option to even start a new store for me wasn't even remotely viable. I wasn't going to go borrow money or raise money. I was like, no, the world has ended, you know? So, and I did that yeah, right before the pandemic. And so then it was, then the question was, and, you know, as consulting for other small brands, et cetera, et cetera. So many of them just decided to shut their doors or take a pause. Yeah. And I just, that I was just like, it's not an option. If I close this, it won't come back. Like, I know it's not going to come back. So okay. for whatever reason I also knew that this journey is one that I kind of have to see through to this day I don't know what the result's going to be but what we're trying to do it's really hard totally. and figuring out to make how to make the business model work because yep. obviously New like what everyone brings yeah. up yeah and um, I got some amazing advice actually from a woman that I used to work with who pioneered a lot of things out of Africa named Lene Freddy and she she kind of said, you know, we have this idea that we need to get somewhere before we start something. I need to understand this before I start something. I need to accomplish this before I do this. Yeah. We have this kind of pathway that is like somehow integrated into our systems of thinking. She said, why can't you just learn on the job? Why can't you learn how to achieve something in it? Yeah. And, um, and I just, it, that struck me, it struck me so deeply and I still, it still resonates with me. It's nothing that we do is an end, all just constant and ongoing. And it's something that I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed with in so many ways, it's kind of this non-dual, you yeah. know, like there is no black, there's no white, it's, everything's always in the middle. And so like the journey itself, that's the part of it, you know? And, um, well, that's cool. I, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Everything is iterative, right? It's the, mm-hmm. The start of something. How has 
you know, going out on your own and starting Rentriage different from your partnership in Suno? Does it feel like a completely different monster? What's the experience? I, um, at Suno, I experienced lots of anxiety starting something, but it wasn't my money. And I just think that's, there's a critical difference there, right? It wasn't my money. It wasn't my name. It wasn't my loans. It wasn't, it wasn't all of those things, which all of those exist for Rentriage. So it's learning to live with the anxiety of what you've started, right? And facing the fact that you might lose a lot of money and that you, you know, that is yourself on the line for your own business. That's the journey of like the entrepreneur in my mind. And that's, it is those people who can learn to live with that risk, Mm -hmm. which in some ways could be sociopathic, you know, I mean, that's one of the reasons. The life of a founder is not for everyone. (laughs) It's very tough and it does take a certain um, amount of grit and self-reliance and, you know, a specific skill set for sure. And hope, Um, you know, kind of this ridiculous propensity towards hope, you know, towards optimism. I think that there's just kind of this, you have to be blind in a way. And right. In this, in this world, you absolutely have to tell me about the kind of mission behind Ren Triage. The name Ron Triage, which I discovered in a children's book uh, written about Louise Bourgeois, oh, cool. um, who very much inspired Ron Triage, is it means, means to reweave across the cut or to mend. And it refers to the women who you or the action of fixing the old French tapestries as they would unravel. It was the act of, of repairing them, yeah. you know, in a beautiful way. You know, I, I, that name allows for a lot of things right now. Our focus is on um, making new things from old things. Yeah. So it's um love the t-shirts, the combination vintage t-shirts. Is that a standout item? It is. We use, you know, the tees and the sweatshirts do really well. Our outerwear actually does incredibly well. We work with vintage clothing. We also work with vintage textiles, dead stock textiles that I often buy from Italy or sources in New York, all that are essentially designer fabrics uh, that, you know, or dead stock. I, I think that most consumers are unaware of the amount of fabrics that don't get used, that are purchased and unused it, yeah, absolutely. in the design process. But we also have home. So we're working on, for instance, I actually go to Portugal next week. We're working on taking dead stock plates and reglazing them with ash from a recycling plant so that they look completely new and different. Yeah. So oh, I love that. That's good. It is, it is the act of taking something old and making it and making it new again. And I believe that umbrella will allow us to grow in a multitude of ways. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a really strong um, concept to apply to different areas. What what are some of your favorite places? I assume you are um, an avid thrifter or vintage shopper. What are some of your favorite go-tos for vintage or thrifting designer uh, down to you know whatever it kind of depends on what what you want right so um you know for ron triage what we've had to do is we've had to very much focus yeah. to things that we know we can find in a very repetitive way so men's blazers men's shirting mm-hmm. denim 
denim jacket, army surplus. These are things that we can find over and over at vintage stores, right? So that's, that's how we focused at Ron Triage. Yeah. And do you go out personally and select these items or do you have a team or how does that work? Yeah, we have a team. I mean, we have one girl who, you know, it's, you'll get connected with people who have thrifted before and they are willing to kind of thrift for you. Yeah. you know, a few days a week. And then I all go in Connecticut. I go to the Goodwills, which yeah. amazing for men's blazers and men's shirting. So yeah, we all, we really all chip in to find these, these items. Personally, if I'm buying vintage for myself, I often go to more expensive places, you know, just because yeah, I find there's so much joyous, yeah, you know, attitude in a curated selection of vintage as well. But that's different. Those are pieces that I don't necessarily want to cut up in the same way. Or if I do tailor them, I tailor them in a more simple way. Totally. Do you, I just went into a, um, like a vintage um, t-shirt shop on, I guess like China, Chinatown called Rogue started by a little TikTok star that, you know, does not hit my radar, but it was really cute. And they had great t-shirts and I got an amazing vintage Minnie Mouse t-shirt for $30. I was like, I know. And this is like in pretty prime area. So I was impressed to, to get a a deal in Manhattan. That's Um, awesome. It's very rare that I wear something new anymore. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, Do you ever shop secondhand or resale like vestier or real real do you do any of that shopping yeah if I if I need a pair of shoes sometimes I'll do that and we definitely do that for you know we'll do that for shoots and and whatnot absolutely tell me a little bit about are there any other kind of like sustainable space fashion brands that you look to or admire well I love um I think I look to different brands for different things I think Gabriella Hurst is a brilliant marketer Yeah. I mean, I just like, I find it amazing how she's message is very clear, gotten the message out there. Absolutely. Um, and how she kind of is able to utilize Instagram, you know, in ways that like personality, unfortunately prevents me from doing, you know? And, um, so I, I really admire that. I, there are little t-shirt companies that Mm -hmm. I find that I find really fascinating. Uh, underwear companies, Nick's, I, you know, I, I think great organic underwear four days is really interesting because they, they actually take back, you know, the take back program I find fascinating. Yeah. Um, I'm actually going to interview her. That's cool. You know, it's specific, but yeah. I, I think it's also, it's a very good example of just a new way of thinking. Right. And then, um, and we need to be experimenting. Right. And it takes someone totally. something for other people to exactly. And then the other is Jung Maven, which is quite sustainable in the, in the fabrics that it uses. Yeah. And I, refer to them because they truly make like my favorite Mm t-shirt and I think the t-shirts are actually really hard you know and I think it's hard to find those t-shirts so the the hemp t-shirts yeah it's these hemp t-shirts I have I have a couple of those they're amazing they're amazing yeah it's like kind of like hippie brand but it's amazing no I yeah I have a couple of those I love those um what other brands in the designer realm do you wear you know, not, not making Suno anymore, which was obviously a quite full ready to wear collection. What brands do you gravitate towards now? I don't actually, I haven't bought clothes for a a minute. I do think we're at an interesting phase in fashion, which is a whole other conversation, but I love Margiela. Yes. I love comb. I love all of the comb lines. Um, yeah, I love Junia. I love Junia. Um, and I think all of that's also pretty clear in my aesthetic even with Ron Triage. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so those are, you know, those are, those are brands that I often lean towards. Um, 
Definitely. The other thing I love about comb is you wear it forever. It, oh, it never feels irrelevant. Yes, I know. And that's, that's how I am. I'm a much smarter shopper now than I used to be. I used to be, um, you know, having stores, I was just buying so much because um, I was surrounded by it and mm-hmm. I loved all my designers. But now I am very thoughtful of my purchases and it's all stuff like that. Cause it's like, you know, the, the things that remain in my closet from 10, 15 years ago, are all comb, margella, trees, you know, these things actually last the test. Totally. Yeah. And I still love, yeah, I still love, I was going to say, I still love trees. Yeah. I think he's brilliant. And I still, um, and I can see a lot of that in that aesthetic in what you're doing and especially, you know, going into home and all of that. I feel like the, the world of trees is such a, you know, powerful place. It's a beautiful world. Absolutely. Are there any new hobbies or skills or anything that you developed during the pandemic? I feel like everyone has their thing. I mean, I, I definitely cooked significantly more yeah. than normal. The other thing that I've gotten very into, and this actually started with a closure of Suno just to try to like regulate myself in any way possible, which was meditation, which has become, you know, something I'm pretty passionate about. I'm actually teaching meditation to um, middle schoolers right now and so it's just it's just it's something yeah it was it was a discovery that I want to continue to pursue in my life yeah oh my gosh yeah I got I got into meditation at the beginning of the pandemic you know again yes trying to self-regulate get out of my head figure things out and I I go to the water every morning and I do about a just like a 10-minute meditation but it's just like really changed my life. And I feel like on the days I can't fit it in because it's, you know, a crazy day or it's raining or whatever it is, I always have a worse day. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. And I think as you start to learn the principles, you can apply the principles to your life in general. And that is extraordinarily, extraordinarily helpful. But yeah, I, I, it, it helps to rewire your brain. There's no doubt about it. Absolutely. You are releasing, you know, I've seen you on the fashion schedule. I've been to one of your presentations um, in the East Village. Are you on a normal design schedule or how is your collection working with this? We have to be on a normal design schedule because of wholesale. Um, I would love for us to be a direct brand. I don't, I don't know if people understand how expensive it is to be a purely direct functioning brand. It's, you know, it's, it's not, if you build it, they will come. It is like, if you build it and pour lots of money into advertising. How much of your business is wholesale versus direct at this point? It's like significantly leans towards wholesale right now. Um, That being said, I think we're doing everything we can to, to build out the brand so that we can have a robust direct business. I, I think Ron Triage will be very yeah. much about direct sales, not only online, but ideally with stores. I just think that because of the amount of, of product that we're capable of, of touching, that's the that's the nature of it. What would you ever want to, you know, build world of and have a little store like of your own storefront? Absolutely. It, yeah. it strikes me as highly overwhelming right this second, but yeah, I just think that's part of it. And I still get so much joy out of shopping in stores. I, I do not, I do not love shopping online. And so often I just get things and I'm like, Oh, okay. You know, I'm not going to return it, but I am not in love. Yeah. And um, I, you, I think that in person you can truly fall in love with store, mm-hmm. the atmosphere, the, the guidance that you're getting from a sales totally. you know, associate and mm-hmm. a 
the product that you end up with. And there's nothing better than feeling like you have something that you want to wear over and over and over again. That's actually, you know, like that's an extraordinarily sustainable way of living too. Making smarter purchases. 100%. And what about, oh, what do you think of the Fashion Act? Everyone is talking about it, obviously. What do you, what are your thoughts on this? It's obviously not going to affect smaller brands. It's all over um, brands with over 100 million in revenue in New York City. Um, Obviously a huge idea. Well, obviously, I mean, I do, I support it. And I think that transparency on any level is always better. You know, I think knowledge is power. That's, yeah. and, and it's just about continuing to yeah. expose the way we do things. I think consumers, you know, with, with, with clothing, you do not have to think about where it came from when you I purchase know, it. It's terrible. It's you know, there's, and it's, it's so, it's so finding any way to create uh, additional mindfulness, I'll actually say yeah. around where our clothes come from. I, I support. I wonder if it'll just shut down all of the fast fashion in the city or if they could ever meet those requirements and thresholds. I don't know. I don't know. I just think there's so many ways around everything. I, I don't mean to sound faithless, but I think that the, it's about making, it's actually, it has to go deeper and you have to actually figure out how to make consumers care. Right. And that's what happened in the food industry. And that's where the shift will come. The only way to make consumers care is to just expose the truth over and over. So I I, I think legislation is great. And I think it's often mandatory um, in terms of regulations and in terms of ultimately um, I think a lot of the change that needs to happen in fashion will have to be consumer driven. Totally. I know. I think about that all the time. Yeah, I was a vegetarian for 13 years and never ate meat and, you know, was so serious about it. And then I started eating meat um, when I moved to Texas, actually. Um, <laughs> you had no other option. <laughs> I was like, I guess I have to eat meat now. Um, but it, it, that journey is so much like where, where I think fashion will go because now I do eat meat, but only when it's humanely raised, organic, like I'm really mindful of where the meat I consume comes from and had to kind of detox from it. So I, you know, I hope, you know, consumers get there with this. So many mindful, thoughtful, smart people just don't give any thought to where their clothes come from. It's a huge disconnect. And it's, it's because ignorance is bliss. The minute you start thinking about it, it's actually like, it is you know, what happened with me, with my personal journey is like, I was actually battling guilt. I started Ron Triage as a, as a, in a way to battle, to like tempt, to soothe, like the guilt that I felt over the way that I was consuming as a mom, you know, as a New Yorker, as a woman in fashion, you know, and that's, that's not to say that I also wasn't trying to change other aspects of my life, you know, and, and, and I do actively do that. Yeah. And I couldn't go back to working in fashion in the way that I'd worked in fashion before. That's it. You know, that's the simple short of it. Yeah. I I feel the same way. Um, All right. One more question before I let you go and get about your normal day. What advice would you give to up and comers? You know, you've been through the CFDA funnel. You've, you know, had your brands, you're on your second, you've been a designer for a long time in the industry. What would you say to someone starting out who's considering starting their own line versus taking a traditional path? Um, you know, everyone's going to do what they want to do. I would say know thyself. You know, I think that in order to have your own brand, you have to really understand what it is you want to create um, and why. And then I would just advise not to get caught up in the bullshit of it all. And to me, that almost feels like fashion's past. 
you yeah. know, totally. but it's still there. Yeah. And it's so easy to start to define yourself based yeah. on accolades and yeah. Instagram. And I know. to me, I think those are very dangerous, totally. you know, um, because I truly believe that in this life, the most important thing is actually to be a good person. Yeah. 100%. You know, to live, to live a life aligned with your values and to align your values with what the world needs, <laughs> you know, get so, lost in the distractions. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's so easy to get caught up. And I, I look at my, this kind of past version of myself who I love and she's not so different, but like, she definitely thought a lot about things that yeah. ultimately didn't serve. No, I, I, I feel you. Maybe it's getting older or having children or who knows. I always wonder. I, I, and I have no, I have no idea. It's all many, many things converging on, on yeah. time. All right. Well, thank you. It was so nice to catch up with you. I really, thank really love Thank you so much for having me. And it's just like, it's really inspiring. And yeah, I hope to see you soon. All right. Take care. Thank you. Have a good one.